It's midday all across the Midlands and on the Rural Radio Network. Here is the midday program coming your way. I'm Dirk Christensen. And we have uh, all of the roundtable participants gathered up and a little bit of information about what you can expect on today's midday program. First of all, we uh, we talk with uh, Susan over here. Susan uh, had a little date panic today, which I haven't had since I was single. Oh, ow. Explain how that works, Susan. Well, I looked at my phone, and I know, see, I have an alarm that goes off to remind me in case I'm doing something to call you. Right. And so it went off, and I hit stop, and I got busy editing some audio, and I looked over at my phone, and it said 1129, and I went, oh, no. And I, like, tried to dial really fast, and then it was like, uh, Susan, that's today's date, 1129. <laughs> yeah, so we had our usual time to actually rehearse this to a fine tooth uh, here uh, for you on the midday program. Uh, you've got pig health today going on in your headlines, huh? We do. You know, it's a, it's a nice focus for our pork producers coming up on um, 117. Shaley's going to be talking to Bob Rowland about some PERS research that's been done. And at 1245, and this goes out to producers all across the, the state and even producers that don't raise hogs, there's going to be an FMD tabletop exercise next Wednesday in West Point. And it's a great opportunity. One, you get to play with farm toys. Mm-hmm. But two, you get to be educated on what should happen when we have an outbreak, um, what law enforcement's going to do, what the state veterinarian's going to do. So you're going to have all these different people and facets around the table talking about what they would do if they're the producer, what they're going to do if they're the firefighter. It's, it's a great opportunity. It's a free event. Just go to the Nebraska Pork Producers, but we're going to dive more into that coming up at 1245. And then at uh, 1219, we're kicking it off with the discussion about biodiesel. Bryce uh, did an interview with Caleb Little, so be tuned in for that. All right, definitely do that. That uh, tabletop exercise—that's that's important stuff. I think people would very be very impressed to know just how prepared everyone is for something like that. It is absolutely amazing, and I'm going to head up to West Point next Wednesday to to re-educate myself. I've participated in, in it before, and it does open your mind mm-hmm. and your thoughts to how you're going to handle things right. should something happen. Yeah, Brandon Bennett's on sports today. Typical. Typical crossover time of the year when we are winding down football in various areas, but also winding up basketball. And Husker men will return home this evening to take on Boston College Eagles in the Big Ten ACC Classic. Then the Husker women play Clemson tomorrow night at the Pinnacle Bank Arena at their part of the Big Ten ACC Classic. Lots of awards rolling in for Nebraska volleyball, especially setter Kelly Hunter. She was named the Big Ten Setter of the Year. And going back to Husker women's basketball they have a freshman they have actually have two freshmen leading them and one of them from right here in nebraska taylor kissinger out of menden making a big impact with a big red big splash all right taylor keep going and bob brogan on business janet yellen is giving perhaps her last uh, address before a uh, committee of congress and uh, she's getting a warm reception she's also saying that uh, there's a need to keep raising rates gradually uh, other things going on, the economy is expanding at a brisk pace, uh, pending home sales surge. And uh, so that's some of the things that are going on today. Lots mm-hmm. of uh, lots of action. Real good. Thanks. We want to remind everybody, beginning next Tuesday, the Rural Radio Network will be part of the Lancaster Event Center hosting the Nebraska Power Farming Show. Make sure your plans are to be there. And we will see you right here on today's Midday.
Paul Perkins is patiently waiting for our uh, opportunity to give some ag weather here. And the first thing we look at is some very, very high winds, Paul. Yes, some uh, strong winds in south-central Wyoming. uh, Wind gust up to 79 miles per hour just south of Rock River, and that's just to the northwest of uh, Laramie. They've also had some wind gusts up to around 60 to the west of that. Boy, oh boy. That's uh, that's where you don't want to be driving <laughs> your uh, your high-profile vehicle down the interstate right there. Yeah, 79 mile an hour wind gusts. Oh, Can you imagine that? Yeah. Your uh, KRVN Weather Watch this hour is being brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. We do have temperatures across our area pretty much in the low and mid-40s. A cooler day for today. High pressure slipping southeast, and that will lead to some sunshine and those conditions warming up this afternoon. A drier and stronger south to southwest wind going to raise that fire danger once again. Winds are going to be the strongest today to the north of I-80, but nothing like they're what, uh, what they are seeing out in Wyoming. Probably some gusts up to around 30, so be very careful. No red flag warning in effect, but that could be issued later today. We will see the dry passage of a cold front tonight. A west flow behind that front will keep our temperatures still warmer than normal, about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than normal for tomorrow all the way through the weekend. Then some changes start to arrive. An area of low pressure will track across the central plains early next week. That low expected to move quickly and not a whole lot of moisture available with it, so just a small chance of rain and snow from Monday into Tuesday. On the back side of that low, though, temperatures will be cooler and closer to seasonal the mid to late part of next week. Our reality check with December weather starts to arrive next week. In the long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and the northern third of Kansas mostly seasonal or near normal Monday through December 12th. Now, the southern two-thirds of Kansas will be closer to cooler than normal, especially late next week through the 12th. That area of low pressure expected to take a more southerly track, and so that will keep the better chances of precipitation and also the cooler temperatures to the south. The precipitation forecast starts out near normal precipitation for Nebraska and above normal precipitation for Kansas early on next week. But then Nebraska and Kansas really dry out. Our long-term forecast expects drier than normal conditions late next week through the 12th. Weather factors driving the markets include beneficial rain and soil moisture in Brazil and an important round of rain in Argentina. Late-season warmth will continue across nearly all of the U.S. until the weekend when near-normal temperatures arrive along the coast of both the Pacific and Atlantic. Precipitation will remain scarce, just light rain expected to develop today in the Mississippi Valley that will spread east. Late in the weekend, snow will develop towards the Great Lakes. Drying conditions in the Midwest will continue the rest of the week to help the remaining harvest towards Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania where it was wet. The latest forecast now reduces rain chances for wheat areas of the southern plains, which means more soil moisture loss for them. Wheat conditions already worse than last year, especially in Oklahoma and Texas. Central Brazil's developing soybeans and first crop corn continue to benefit from a favorable rain pattern. It's drier in southern Brazil, but more soil moisture available right now after heavy rains earlier. Moderate to locally heavy rain in central Argentina today will continue the next five days. An important round of rain there since the 10-day forecast turns drier for Argentina. Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And, Paul, I guess we'd have to admit we've been very fortunate with regard to the arrival of winter weather, but uh, it's on the horizon. Yeah, exactly. Probably a more seasonal weather on the way for next week, but luckily not 
doesn't look like it's going to be a cool down that will be too drastic for us. Okay. So not too much of a slap in the face, I guess. All right. <laughs> so your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, although it may be heading for a little cooler, be a good time to spend it inside at the Nebraska Power Farming Show. And we'll see you there in Lincoln at our booth there. And you'll hear more about that as we go forward. I want to remind you also that you can ask our staff there all about the app that has the weather that you need when you need weather anytime. You can also check out krbn.com. Agriculture is underway. I'm Shaylee Peters with a midday check of your ag news here on the Rural Radio Network. The Department of Agriculture's National Agricultural Statistics Service is mailing out the 2017 Census of Agriculture to the nation's producers this week. Conducted once every five years, the census aims to get a complete and accurate picture of American agriculture. Data collected in the census is used by farmers, trade associations, researchers, policymakers, and others to help make decisions in community planning, farm assistance programs, farm advocacy, and rural development, according to the USDA. Agriculture Secretary Sunny Purdue says the census gives every producer the opportunity to be represented. The census will be mailed in several phases through December. Farm operations of all sizes which produced and sold or normally would have sold $1,000 or more of agricultural products in 2017 are included in the census. The census response deadline is February 5th, 2018, and responding to the Census of Agriculture is required by law. And next week, cattlemen from all over the state will make their way to Kearney for a schedule jam-packed, starting with Cattlemen's College on Tuesday. Executive Vice President for the Nebraska Cattlemen, Pete McClimate, says there are just a couple of days left to get registered, and there are a couple of different ways to do so. We've got a lot crammed in to four days to give great producer education and interaction on policy issues, and so... We would strongly urge people to come out. They can go online and register for a convention, or they can do it at the door. So it can be done through Thursday of this week, uh, November 30th, and then after that, uh, we will do it on site. So if you are able to do it uh, today or tomorrow, that's great. If not, we will take your registration on site. Either rate, uh, we would love to have people come to Kearney and... Uh, actively participate in the future of Nebraska cattlemen policy and efforts. Nebraska Cattlemen has moved Cattlemen's College this year in an effort to offer a more hands-on learning experience, and it will be held out at the Buffalo County Fairgrounds. And after two years of dispute, the European Union has extended the license for glyphosate for five years. Representatives from a majority of the EU's 28 nations approved the five-year license renewal, uh, renewal of glyphosate, the most widely used herbicide in the world. The unexpected move unlocked a two-year deadlock after the World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer concluded that glyphosate has the potential to cause cancer in humans, according to a report by Dow Jones. 18 countries voted in favor of the renewal, including Spain and the UK. Nine nations, including France, voted against it, and Portugal abstained. The European Commission is now set to renew the five-year license before December 15th, when the current license expires. And China's newly instituted E10 mandate has the potential to create more 
more demand for both corn and ethanol produced in the United States, according to a new analysis from the Center for Agricultural and Rural Development at Iowa State University. In its fall 2017 Agricultural Policy Review, CARD said there are many unknown details about China's mandate. However, the Chinese are expected to see an increase in gasoline consumption from about 40 billion gallons in 2017 to 46 billion gallons in 2020. China may change its policy if it finds high levels of corn import unacceptable. In the past, China has imported large quantities of ethanol when domestic production has fallen short of demand. If imports surge as a result of the E10 mandate, the United States, the top exporter of ethanol to China, will benefit. And that's a quick check of your midday ag news. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Biodiesel is a renewable fuel that can be manufactured from algae, vegetable oils, animal fats, recycled restaurant greases, and soybeans with soybean biodiesel, and it can be locally produced in most countries. On the Rural Radio Network, Bryce Duskit reporting. Recently, I had the opportunity to catch up with the National Biodiesel Board staff member, Caleb Little, who is a senior communications manager for the board, and we began our conversation talking about what's new with the National biodiesel board. The farm economy uh, and biodiesel go hand in hand. The uh, soybean oil and other fats and oils that go into biodiesel production are uh, bringing value back to the farm gate um, and really uh, supporting commodity prices. Uh, added demand for soybean oil for, from biodiesel contributes about 63 cents per bushel uh, in added value. So, you know, in times when commodity prices are uh, are not at their best, that, uh, that becomes a, a bigger, bigger piece of the puzzle. Before we got recorded, here, you and I were talking about kind of the history of how biodiesel got started. Let's go back and talk about that. And where was the? Why was this? Uh, why did this idea come to fruition? Essentially, yeah. So uh, back in the in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, soybean oil was such a drag on commodity prices that um, you know they they couldn't hardly give it away. Uh, there were there's only so much that could be eaten in the in human food and in the soybean checkoff actually as as part of their research and development and uh, promotion uh, set out to find a commercial demand uh, or commercial use for soybean oil. So uh, one of the, one of the things that they found that that worked well was biodiesel, uh, putting it into a, a renewable, cleaner burning fuel uh, that's better for the environment, better for the economy. It's made here in the United States creates jobs, uh, all of that, but, you know, it, it brings value back to uh, back to farmers. Are there any myths or uh, misunderstandings around biodiesel that you want to kind of make the record straight? Yeah, so uh, lots of lots of great information out there. Um, you know, on the use side, it's it's so easy to use. Um, you know, I use, I drive a diesel, uh, diesel uh, Chevy Cruze, uh, and for me, as a user, I pull up to the retail pump that sells B20 uh, over in Jefferson City where I live. I pull up to the pump. I put fuel in just like I would any other fuel product. And it's seamless. It's There's no transition period. Um, you know, it is a, it is a, biodiesel is a solvent. So uh, it actually sometimes will kind of clean the junk out of your storage tanks and those kinds of things. So if you're going to a, to an on-farm use, you got to have nice clean tanks to start with. But, uh, you know, from an operations standpoint, it's, it's very easy to use. How does the RFS affect the biodiesel industry? Yeah, so the renewable fuel standard is uh, it has a, has a big impact on on our industry. Um, you know, that's the uh, that's the law that's been in place for about 12 years now that says a certain percentage of fuels sold need to have a renewable component to it. Um, 
you know, so the for the last uh, five to ten years, that's really driven uh, a baseline demand for biodiesel. We've grown to a point where last year it was almost a three billion gallon market in the United States last year. So, uh, you know, that's about five percent of the on-road diesel market. So, growing significantly from uh, from a non-existent fuel commercially just you know fifteen twenty years ago to uh, to five percent of the diesel pool is a is a big deal. And some of the, a lot of that has to do with um, you know, that federal policy support. That was Caleb Little, Senior Communications Manager for the National Biodiesel Board. If you'd like to learn more about biodiesel and the National Biodiesel Board, you can log on to biodiesel.org. From the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkup, I'm Bryce Duskit on the Rural Radio Network. After playing three games in Orlando last weekend, the Husker men's basketball team returns home this evening to take on the Boston College Eagles as part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Tip-off at the Pinnacle Bank Arena is set for 8.15 p.m. The Huskers are 5-2 and two on the year. They come into tonight's game with a two-game winning streak following an 85-80 win over Long Beach State at the AdvoCare Invitational this past Sunday. Glenn Watson Jr. led four Huskers in double figures with 26 points, while Nebraska's defense had 15 steals and forced 21 turnovers that led to 31 Husker points. The Boston College Eagles are 5-2, and two and they'll test the Huskers with an experienced backcourt. The Husker women's basketball team returns home in their part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge tomorrow evening at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Tip-off time between the 4-2 and two Huskers and the 4-2 and two Clemson Tigers is set for 7 p.m. And the Huskers are coming off a 55-47 win over Coastal Carolina. The 47 points allowed by the Huskers in the win over the Chanticleers mark the fewest points scored in an Amy William-coached Nebraska team. Nebraska is 2-0 at PBA in the Big Ten ACC Challenge with wins over North Carolina State and Duke. And a pair of Husker freshmen find themselves atop much of Nebraska's offensive statistics early this season. One of those, Taylor Kissinger, a 6'1 guard from Minden, is averaging a team-high 13.5 points per game while leading the Big Red with 18 three-pointers, shooting over 38% shooting from long range. Kissinger averaged 14 points and buried nine three-pointers in two games at this last weekend's San Juan shootout. And the honors keep piling up for the Nebraska volleyball team this year. Husker setter Kelly Hunter has been named the Big Ten Setter of the Year. Hunter and junior outside hitter Michaela Fecky were unanimous all Big Ten first-team selections, while senior outside hitter Annika Albrecht also made the team. Lauren Stiverens and Jazz Sweet both made the all-conference freshman team, while Brianna Holman earned honorable mention honors. Sidney Townsend won the team's sportsmanship award. And Husker kicker Drew Brown was one of three Huskers honored as part of the Big Ten's all-conference special teams and defensive performers announced yesterday. Brown was an honorable mention pick, as were J.D. Spielman and DeMornay Pearsonell. Senior linebacker Chris Weber was the Huskers' Big Ten Sportsmanship Award winner. And the coaching carousel continues as Mississippi State has hired Penn State offensive coordinator Joe Moreland as its new head football coach. The school officially announced the hiring earlier this morning, the 44-year-old Moorhead replaces Dan Mullen, who left Starkville after nine seasons to become the Florida Gators' new head coach on Sunday. 
Moorhead has been with Penn State for the last two seasons, calling plays for one of the best offenses in the country. Penn State coach James Franklin hired Moorhead after the 2015 season to bring his creative spread offense to State College, and it has helped as the Nittany Lions post a 21-5 record over the last two seasons. Moorhead inherits a pretty good situation at Mississippi State. The Bulldogs were 8-4 this season with a roster that features only a handful of senior starters. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. Clear skies tonight with lows in the low 30s, a little cooler in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. The names of two individuals sought by police in the disappearance of 24-year-old Sidney Loof have been released by Lincoln Police Chief Jeff Blymeister. The Lincoln Police Department is asking for the public's assistance in locating two persons of interest identified during the course of this investigation. The two persons of interest that we have identified and we need help in looking for are 51-year-old Aubrey Trail and 23-year-old Bailey Boswell. The two individuals have ties to multiple states. If you have information about these individuals or about Sydney's whereabouts, we encourage you Please call 402-441-6000. Lincoln police say Trail and Boswell recently lived in Wilbur, but didn't discuss the possible association of the two and Miss Loof. There are photos of the subjects on the KRVN.com website. Two lawmakers are touring Nebraska schools to learn about reading curriculum and see how schools handle dyslexia. Senators Lou Ann Linehan and Patty Pansing Brooks visited Omaha Public Schools on Tuesday. Pansing Brooks says the visits are meant to help legislators understand how schools approach literacy and how they work with students who have difficulties learning. Both senators have experience with dyslexia. Linehan and her son have the learning disability, and Pansing Brooks' brother is dyslexic. Pansing Brooks says it's important to spot learning disorders early in a child's development. The senators are also looking for feedback from teachers about how effectively their college education prepared them to identify learning problems. Their tour is part of a legislative interim study that may lead to legislation. Donald Trump Jr. says his father's successful run for president has given conservatives the ability to feel free to speak up on issues. Trump appeared a Tuesday evening at a fundraiser for Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach's campaign for governor at a suburban Kansas City hotel. A federal appeals court has ruled that judges cannot deny bail to immigrants in criminal cases solely because they are living in the country unlawfully and could be deported before trial. The little-notice ruling by a three-judge panel last week noted that this is the first decision of its kind in the Tenth Circuit. The court ruled that under federal law, judges cannot include the risk of deportation when they judge whether a defendant will flee. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Training a week from today is an opportunity for those in the industry to learn more about FMD. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The FMD Tabletop presentation and exercise that's taking place next Wednesday in West Point isn't just for pork producers. It's an opportunity for those in the industry and outside the industry, including those in law enforcement and fire and rescue, to learn more firsthand 
should an FMD outbreak take place in the state. Cindy Cunningham is with the National Pork Board. So foot and mouth disease is a disease of, of cloven-hooved animals. So pigs, cattle, hogs, sheep can all get foot and mouth disease. We haven't had foot and mouth disease here since 1929, but if we did get it in the U.S., it would just be devastating to our livestock industry. So what we're trying to do as the pork industry is preparedness and training uh, to help, first of all, prevent a foot and mouth disease outbreak in the U.S., but help our producers and our local communities and others understand what would happen during a foot and mouth disease outbreak and what role they would play in, in dealing with the situation. What are some things that are going to happen at this educational event for producers a week from this Wednesday? We'll have a drill, a tabletop drill, and we'll actually simulate a foot and mouth disease outbreak. So what we'll do is with uh, farm toys, we will simulate on a table a local community, and we'll have farms, we'll have dairies, we'll have uh, cattle, we'll have pigs, we'll have sheep, we'll have local communities, all set up with these uh, basically little toys and will simulate uh, a foot and mouth disease outbreak. So around the table we will have the state vet, we will have uh, local pork producers, we'll have emergency managers, we'll have everyone who would be involved in a foot and mouth disease outbreak and they'll actually be playing the role that they would play during an FMD outbreak. The reason that we do that at the table is to bring together in a, a unique teaching setting and a safe environment an opportunity to walk through what would happen during this disease situation. It really is an, a way for all of us to learn and become better prepared and, and understand what our roles and responsibilities would be. It is a great opportunity. Education, I think, gives them a whole new insight into the ins and outs should there be an FMD outbreak. We think about disaster management, and, and many folks in Nebraska have been through very serious and severe disasters, and it's what we're doing with this is no different than, than other disaster training. We're trying to um, bring together the people who would be responding to this situation and help them understand what their roles are, but also it helps us to, to build the crisis plans across all of our species, not just the pork industry. And like you were saying, it really gives an insight to the other facets that come together from from the folks that haul the feed to the sheriff's departments to the local fire departments for themselves to be better educated. So, you know, if and when it should happen, they're going to feel more prepared. Exactly. And really understanding during a day like today where there isn't uh, this disease happening, understanding what will be happening during the actual outbreak is really important and will help all of us to be better prepared and be able to move through that situation when it does happen. Does it reiterate to those producers as well that say, well, I've got a very strong biosecurity system in place, the need for them to be here to be educated as well? Actually, this is for all, all producers. We encourage all pork producers to attend, but we would open it up to anyone who has livestock 
to attend this event and anyone who is involved in agriculture. It's really important to understand what an FMD outbreak means to the industry, but specifically what it would mean to your farm. As you are walking through a foot and mouth disease outbreak and looking about and thinking about your own particular farm, biosecurity today is the first step in prevention of something like a foot and mouth disease outbreak, but how would you deal with it today? How would you care for those pigs? How would you make sure that they have the feed and water that they need? How would you make sure that your employees understand and are trained in dealing with this situation? And how will you make sure that once you get through an FMD outbreak, you're still able to be in business and raising pigs on the other side of this of this terrible situation? And for producers that would like to get registered and those um, attend this free event, how do they go about doing it? The FMD drill being sponsored by the Nebraska Pork Producers will be held on December 6th at the Nielsen Center in West Point, Nebraska from 8.30 until 4. We'd really like to have you RSVP at anypork.org, so the Nebraska Pork website, anypork.org. And we really encourage all pork producers in the area and really anyone who's involved in uh, in agriculture to attend this event. I've participated in these tabletop demonstrations and exercises in the past and have walked away with so much information to be able to know what to do when an outbreak happens. Again, it is a free event. You can register online by going to anypork.org, clicking on the events page, and getting yourself registered. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Next, let's get an assessment of what happened in livestock futures trading from Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe. Yeah, a fair day in the uh, in the cattle. Uh, they uh, at least we advanced there uh, uh, with uh, really kind of a uh, quiet uh, trade, a lot of anticipation uh, uh, on uh, the, the trade developing. Uh, a lot of talk about 120 and maybe up as high as 122, but I really haven't heard of any uh, any trade take place so far. So I think uh, a bit on the on the wish side, but uh, uh, we did uh, trade both sides of unchanged during the day. Cutouts were a little uh, were lower again at noon, um, so uh, that uh, is now a couple of three days in a row where we've had lower cutouts, but the uh, Futures not uh, paying any attention to that. Still looking at the cash trade. Feeders uh, up pretty. Uh, the only one that have a triple digit gain out of the cattle was the uh, January contract, where uh, the uh, index has improved over the last couple of days. So, just chasing that uh, index right at the moment. Over in the hogs, uh, kind of a surprise. Uh, cash doing pretty well. Cutouts higher. The uh, futures uh, the first uh, few months lower uh, came under some pressure uh, during the day uh, about mid-session which eh, came as somewhat of a surprise once the cutouts came out we rallied again but then broke here uh, in the latter part of the session so uh, definitely different but we're considering the premiums we're taking it out thanks joe joe teal great plains commodities call them at 800-328-0134 I'm Dewey Nelson. Research is creating a way.
way to protect pigs from the porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network visiting today with Bob Rowland, Kansas State University professor of diagnostic medicine and pathobiology in the College of Veterinary Medicine. And Bob, talk to us about, just open up, what you guys are doing with this research. Well, I've been working on, we call it PERS, and we always think in terms of how much it costs us each year. And PERS costs producers about between five and $600 million in losses. But if you think about it over the lifetime of this disease, it's more like $14 billion. Perhaps one of the most devastating impacts of the disease is the reproductive form. During late gestation, if a sour gilt becomes infected, uh, it can cause devastating losses uh, in terms of abortions, uh, dead piglets, and weak-born pigs. And when we think about growing pigs, we always want to give pigs a good start. So a lot of the efforts in biosecurity that go into preventing PERS really goes in, into, the, uh, into stopping it at the reproductive uh, level. And so um, I, I just want to say that this research really reflects the culmination of my effort to, you know, find ways to, you know, control and eradicate PERS over the last uh, 20 years or so. And I think it also represents the power of collaboration. This is not done by me, but it's done by a team. And the actual pigs begin at the University of Missouri with my collaborator, uh, Randy Prather. And really, that leads me right to my next question, Bob. The fact that we have the technology and really is exciting moving forward with what we might be able to do here. Yes, it really starts out with Randy. He does the genome editing. Uh, he's, he's known worldwide for making uh, genetically modified pigs. And so I guess he woke up one day and decided he wanted to make a PERS-resistant pig. And you do that by knocking out the receptor for the virus. And receptors are kind of like door handles. You know, the virus has to be able to turn that door and open the door and walk into the cell to cause disease. So he is the one who really uh, uh, designed these genetically uh, edited pigs. And it's using the modern technology, which is, which is known as CRISPR. And you basically go in there with these little molecular scissors and you cut out a few bases out of, the, out of the genome of the pig. And then you sew it back together and at the same time you knock out the receptor. And uh, a couple of years ago, we just demonstrated that this works in adult pigs. If you infect them, they have the genetically modified or genetically edited CD163. Uh, the CD163 molecule is no longer there and they cannot become infected with PERS. This is the first clear demonstration of a, pre, of a technique that can prevent infection. And so this, is, um, this really uh, was uh, something that really impacted uh, the world of, of pig production as well as the world of infectious disease. The ability to eliminate the ability of a pig to be infected by a virus. But then you ask the question, well, how can you use this? How do you give it utility? And this is what we did. And that now we can, if we have a pregnant sow that lacks CD163, but the, but the piglets are, are normal and express normal levels of CD163, the absence of CD163 in the sow really uh, creates a protective barrier. And we demonstrated that this barrier is, inf is effective in blocking uh, the ability of the virus to infect fetuses. So we have, we found a way to eliminate reproductive PERS. All right, thanks so much. Bob Roland with K-State. For more, you can visit RuralRadio.com for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaley Peters.
Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. We were higher in these winter wheat futures and corn futures, but I would guess today might have had some other questions about uh, maybe rising prices. What are your clients saying? Well, you know, the grain guys obviously looking at green numbers here. That's certainly welcome. Uh, you know, wheat, corn, those are the markets that have been most beat down. You know, it's a quick 10 cents. We were already off the low from yesterday in wheat and very solid close uh, as we as we close on November. Uh, you know, I would have liked to have tried to gotten that December or that July contract below 350 or 450 rather in wheat. That was kind of the goal of mine here. Um, they're just in my opinion, is very little downside in that summer contract given uh, where the funds are set up, where the cash price has been trading, and, and just the, the overall uncertainty with how much is going to grow and how much has been planted. So I think we're probably going to find more uh, equilibrium here, just like we had in the December contract between 430, 440, all the way to, down to 420 into delivery. Um, you know, so I, I'm not trying to say get set up for the same type of market we've been seeing. I just think it's going to be very boring um, with the short cover rallies probably being what drives the market. And then, you know, watching the cash is even what happens with the basis uh, as we get up to, say, you know, 440 wheat and, uh, you know, 360, 370 corn. Have your clients been calling you about first notice day? Well, no. I mean, yes. We get a lot of first notice day calls today. And I think that's one thing, getting guys who are simply say, what do I do here? Do I price or roll it? And if, you, if you've got basis contracts locked, I, I would take the money. I, I just feel like you're looking at, uh, you know, giving up interest and, and giving up, uh, you know, storage costs. If, if you're storing it in the bin, of course, um, you know, you have limited storage costs. I know it's not free, but um, if you're paying for it, I would simply take it and try to re-own it on paper. Now, I am a broker. I'm in the business, so that's going to be, you know, my default position most times. But the way I look at it right now, especially in the corn markets, you know, margins are very low. They're nine hundred dollars um you know you have risk on the board just like you have risk in the bin but if you have say you know twenty thousand bushels of corn you know you're passing up a pretty good chunk of revenue there to hold it for upside when you can hold you know for a little under four grand you can hold the same amount of corn uh without any basis exposure so i think there's upside here i don't look for for too much as we get into uh, the new year but much of that will be dictated on on what the weather is i look for a run regardless of weather up to 365 possibly even 370 in the march but beyond that is a stretch in that at this point thanks john john payne senior marketing analyst with daniel's ag marketing in chicago publisher of the newsletter this week in grain have more questions of John? Go to danielzagmarketing.com or call 866-825-8561.